Hey guys, this is Joy. This is a bonus episode for Mental Health Awareness Week. Uh, as most of you know, I am a mental health therapist. I've been practicing therapy for about 20 years. And I sit down in this episode with my good friend and colleague, Lisa Marib. She's also a therapist and she's been practicing for about 15 years and working with eating disorders as a specialty. We answer your questions that you've submitted. You guys really asked some amazing questions. So thank you for that. We keep everything confidential. And you may remember Lisa from some past episodes. We had her and Natalia on with the eating disorder episodes we'd done in the past. I linked those in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to those. If you or someone you love is suffering from a mental health disorder diagnosis, and you're just needing some help right now, you can go to the National Institute for Mental Health. Their website is nimh.nih.gov. I have linked that in the show notes. The National Institute of Mental Health. You can call 1-866-615-6464. That's 866-615-6464. Or you can text hello to 741-741. This is free and confidential. I'll put this all in the show notes so you guys don't have to remember this. But just know that you're not alone and there's people out there to help you and there's people out there to listen to you. Of course, you can always email us, girlsgonewad at gmail.com if you want to ask me for assistance in helping you find a clinician or a provider or a therapist. Don't hesitate to ask because I really am here to help you. So I'm happy to answer any questions. And um, if you're vulnerable right now, if you're feeling like you just can't hear heavier stuff right now, this episode, we do talk about some pretty intense topics, uh, including eating disorders. So just keep that in mind. If you have younger ones listening, just I would advise you to to take some caution there and then also just take care of yourself uh, and know what might be difficult for you to hear at this time. Take care of you first, okay? So if you think of someone who might be struggling this week, really share this episode, reach out to them, send them a text, send them that website, or just ask them how they're doing. You know, sometimes uh, even sending them resources feels like too much. So maybe just send them a text message and let them know that you're thinking about them. And um, yeah, reaching out goes a long way when someone is struggling just to say you're thinking of them. So I hope this episode is helpful. This is something that's very important to me. I would love to keep answering your questions around these topics. So feel free to continue to submit your questions, comments, and things that you'd like to hear about these topics specifically at girlsgonewad at gmail.com. And here we go with the episode, bonus episode with Joy. That's me and Lisa. So we're doing a special episode for the Girls Gone Wad podcast for Mental Health Awareness Week. And this is very near and dear to my heart. It's something I've been wanting to do for quite some time. So I'm really excited to have this episode air during Mental Health Awareness Week. If you're struggling with a mental health issue, we hope that this is something that's helpful for you and we'll provide resources too at the end where you can find additional help. I do want to put a disclaimer that this is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. This is something that we are doing as advice and support, but does not replace seeing an actual therapist. So just please know that if you're really struggling, seek professional help and we will provide resources with this episode to get that help. So today with me is my good friend, 
Lisa Marab. And Lisa and I have been friends, God, I want to say 15 years. I think it's we, longer than that. Yeah, it's, I know. I always like <laughs> underestimate now. Like when you yeah. asked me how long I had my cat, I was like, maybe like five years. It's probably more like 10 because I'm like, time is not moving. Once you hover around 40 and you're like, oh, wait. That was 20. Okay, that was 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, so weird. Oh. it's so weird. So we've been friends for quite a long time. We met in uh, our previous place of employment when I was working for the district attorney's office. And give the listeners a quick bio of where you're from. I love that you're from the East Coast because you got a little, even though I don't know if you know this, but you got a little East Coast edge that I love because my dad's from the East Coast. So I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. He's oh. from Jersey. He's a Jersey. Oh, okay. 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 So give, give the people what they want. Tell them about you. Okay. Let's see if I can do this in 60 seconds or less. So I am from Massachusetts originally. I don't think I have an accent, but if I've been hanging around my family, I start dropping my ahs. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, you, you do a little bit sometimes. Like you, well, maybe it's because you remind me so much when you talk, you talk like your dad. And I know it's not going to be funny to anyone else, but like you talk of like Dennis. The people can't see right now, but I am cracking up. My father is the most interesting character people have ever met. So, but that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, another podcast. The Dennis Merrill show. <laughs> it really should be. That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anyway, let me, they're, they're not interested in this. So um, I'm originally from Massachusetts. I moved out here again, yes, 20 years ago yeah. uh, for graduate school. I worked with Joy when we were doing counseling um, at the district attorney's office. And then I morphed into working as a therapist at an inpatient residential eating disorder treatment center slash hospital in Denver. I was there for the past eight years, um, treating adults with a variety of eating disorders at all levels of care. And then just recently in June, I decided to make a big life transition and go into private practice. Um, and so I started my private practice back in July, like two months ago. So it's been terrifying. You took the leap. I took the leap. And it is, let me tell you, all of these listeners that are um, relating to having extreme anxiety, trust me, I relate. Making a major career move like that is terrifying. Yeah, it's really, so. really scary. So I'm proud yeah. of you. Proud yeah, of you. Thanks, and Joy. You and Natalia were on two episodes. Gosh, I need to look them up. But I know we've referenced it a million times. But if you just search Girls Gone Wad Eating Disorder Therapists, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they'll pop up on our episode page. And you can go back and listen to those episodes. So we really wanted to take the time today to address your questions specifically, because there's so many questions out there, and we will keep everything confidential. So if you want to submit a question in the future too about any of these topics that you want me to cover, I'm happy to do so. And I promise I will keep things confidential. I think that's just something really scary is like people writing, um, asking really personal questions, thinking that I'm going to like repost it or screenshot it like that, that would terrify me. So just I hope you can trust us that we will keep everything private and confidential. And I take that very seriously. So why don't we start with a a few quick questions that we got themes of. So I'm not going to address every single one, but a lot of people kind of wanted to know really how to get started with a therapist. And we do cover a lot of that on our, if you go to our Instagram page, there's a highlight section, how to, I think it just says therapy because you can't really make those captions very long, but it just says therapy. So if you go there, you can see all of my hot tips, hot takes of how to find a therapist. So go there. The other question that someone asked, kind of an adjacent question, if you will, was, I am a therapist and I'm scared to get therapy. 
And I thought oh, that was a really interesting question. Surprise me. I missed that question. You did? Yeah. yeah. And it was pretty recent. So you, okay. you maybe didn't see that one. But she was like, I'm a therapist and I'm really kind of scared to get therapy. And so my question to her is, if you are a therapist and you've never gone to therapy, it is, I'm not trying to say that you have to do this for your patients or your clients, but it is so valuable to be sitting in the other chair to know what your patients slash clients, however you want to call them, to know how they're feeling right? Like, I feel like that's such a unique thing to experience. I was, when I was in grad school, I hadn't gone to therapy my entire life. I I had, a. I mean, I look back and I'm like, man, I was so immature, but I I looked back and I was like, I was a little baby. And I was like, I'm just going to learn how to do therapy. Like, I don't really need therapy. I was kind of unaware. My graduate program didn't require you to get therapy. I know a lot of programs do require you to get therapy. Really? Did yours? That's yeah. Yes. So mine didn't require us to get therapy, which I find very interesting. And so when I finally did go to therapy, it was a huge change for me. It was really, really powerful. So if you're a therapist and you're scared to get therapy, I I also think it's really hard to find a therapist who can do therapy with a therapist. So if I were you, I would ask around if you have people in your therapy community who are also licensed professionals or practice therapy in some way, shape or form. Hey, do you know of a good therapist that sees therapists? I mean, just start to ask around because I feel like that is something that is very, a very unique perspective. I once saw a therapist that once I told her that I was a therapist, she was so insecure of every answer that she gave that it was like, it was the most useless session of my life. And I just remember every time, like no offense, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, I remember talking and talking to her and she would say, she would give me an answer and then she'd say, well, you probably know all this because you're a therapist. And I wanted to be like, but I'm not here for that. Like I'm here for you to tell me what to do with my life. Like it was really, really hard. So it's, it takes a special therapist and a confident therapist, very confident in their own skin and very secure in their abilities to talk to a therapist and not be like, second guessing everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So well and can I pop in and be therapy please, for a second? Please so do. my question for her would be why? Mm-hmm. Why do you feel like you're scared to go see a therapist? Mm-hmm. Right? Just to to look before you even take the step of seeing someone enjoys feedback. It, you're so right on of like looking into like who are people that are comfortable. Cause you're right. You at, at first I was if I can segue real quick, someone asked like, what's it like to treat someone who is a therapist? Um, and I actually say it's no different. What I want people to know, and because there's this huge stigma on mental health, therapists are no different than the rest of you all listening right now. We all really not. We are it's so human. true. Human. We it's are so flawed. True. We are messed up. The funny. Okay. Yeah. And sorry to interrupt you, no. but I feel like the I feel like the thing that people always assume is that we have our shit together. Yeah. And I'm like, look, I'm such a mess. No, like, do as I say, not as I do. I it is just we we cannot we do not have the perfect insight to our own lives mm-hmm. just like a doctor cannot treat his or herself mm-hmm. with you know an organ Ooh, transplant like, good analogy that was really smart true. like we can't and so i think that's just something that people need to realize is like mm-hmm. we are struggling just like the next person we're just trained and skilled in doing the act of therapy. Yeah. We and like know is, some stuff. We know some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we can be 
really good at telling other people and noticing other people's disorders and diagnosis. Like that is a skill. And that is not something that we can do with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. So sorry to interrupt. No, no, I'm glad that you said that because that's, I think, sometimes the biggest barrier of people seeking treatment. And one of the things that I said to Joy before we started recording was how sad I was to see so many questions about how do I find a therapist? I'm scared to find a therapist. And I've talked to people outside of my life that aren't in the mental health world. And they're like, why would I do that? Why would I go talk to someone? Why would I share private things? And and so I think we talk about like fear of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. So I know I know a lot of therapists that are like, well, I don't want to go to therapy because people are going to judge me as either not being good at my job or I should have things together. And again, what I want to say to this writer is ask yourself why, what's the barrier for you going in? And then as Joy said, find someone that can treat profession- like professionals like us in the field. Yeah. And just make the darn appointment, like email the it. therapist and make the appointment yeah. and just go, just do it. Just and email it. email me if you, if that helps to be accountable. Yeah. If you need like accountability, buddy, just do it. I won't tell anybody. Is Nike a sponsor here? No. Okay, I darn. Wish. That would have been a really good time. <laughs> would Claire and I are waiting for that? <laughs> just putting it out there, Nike. Just putting it out there. Okay. How do you know when you're done with therapy? I love this one too because you have to have a good therapist who should tell you when you're done with therapy. That's amazing. I actually, we didn't even talk about this. I was going to say I was in therapy um, and my therapist basically fired me. She was like, Lisa, you don't need to come anymore. So again, this is me like, I'm going to try on this podcast to like role model being vulnerable and therapists go to therapy. It's okay. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with this. And I've been in and out of therapy like kind of my whole life. And many years ago, my therapist finally was like, Lisa, you don't need to come here anymore. We're really just shooting the shit. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. want to say, you're right. A good therapist will tell you. a good therapist you. will tell you and should tell you. Here's the other thing. If you are going to a private practice therapist and they're not telling you when you're done, I question their morals. Red flag. I question. And the reason for that is they like taking your money. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they are all shallow, mm-hmm. but if they need money and you're willing to pay them, I'm just saying, just, right. just think about that. And then, but yeah, with like, it was like insurance. It's different because, right. te- because I work for insurance, uh, an insurance provider who also provides the services is we have to practice on a very strict medical model, which mm. means I can only treat people with a medical necessity. So that's a different model. So if you're going to an insurance uh, covered provider, then they are more likely to be pretty straight with you about a treatment plan that's going to end right off the bat. They're going to say, okay, we just did a first visit. That's what we call an intake. And then we are going to do, we're going to try to do A, B, and C. This is what your treatment plan looks like. And then we should be wrapping up in six to eight visits or something along those lines. Like, I'm not saying that they're going to kick you out the door, but I'm just saying they will be much more clear about what the treatment plan looks like. So it's a very different setting when you're in insurance covered providers versus private pay because private pay will likely just be like, yeah, come back whenever. So I think it's just really important that you consider that too, when you're in therapy and always know that you can ask, you can ask, how long do you see this taking? We don't always know. Like I've said, we don't know everything. Um, we know like 10% again, the therapists are not all knowing, but we can usually give you an estimate of about how long you're going to need to be in therapy. And Additionally, you know, it depends on what you're showing up with, right? right? So I have clients that show up and they're struggling with some bullying at school. Well, they might be in for sessions for the fall semester. 
other people have some really, really significant things and they might need to be in therapy for a year before mm-hmm. things kind of move through. So right. it really just depends really, on what's showing up. It really depends. Yeah. How to approach a topic with your therapist. This is another thing. It's like, I love this one too, because here's the thing is I really think it's important that provide, I'm going to say providers a lot. Cause that's what we call ourselves in, in, at my work, but therapists are, they should tell you from the get go, like, here's my style. Here's what I do. Here's what I yes. expect. They should be setting expectations from therapy because you can't go in and be a mind reader I'm not a mind reader. You're not a mind reader. So I think the expectation is, especially if you're not used to therapy of going in and being like, okay, tell me what to do with my life. Well, therapists don't do that. They go, they sit there and they're supposed to listen and they take in information. And if it's, yeah, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but like if, if you go in and the therapist just kind of sits there and listens, but doesn't really engage or isn't really challenging you, I think it's really important for you to kind of, it's okay to ask questions to the therapist. Yes. It's okay to say, you know, I'm getting the sense that like, you know, is what I'm saying making sense? Are you, you know, giving them feedback on like how you're perceiving them is really valuable because it's not always a great fit either. So if you have a therapist who's more just kind of like a listener and is giving you support, just like the nodding and encouraging, and you just want to talk and they, they're there to listen, that's great. But if you need someone who's a bit more challenging, which is my style, I challenge people and I, with love, I give them a lot of love, but I challenge with love, loving kindness, (laughs) but I do, I'm, I'm very, I I feel like if I I was going to brag for a minute, like, I feel like that's one of my strengths is to really appropriately challenge people in a way that they can hear it. But back to the question of like how to approach a topic with your therapist, I would really just, just ask, say, I'm having a hard time thinking of a way to tell you this. Can I just process through that for a second and see what they say? And if they're kind of like, well, I mean, if they're weird about it, then I don't know if that's a therapist for you. That's their stuff, not yours. That's not, yeah, that's their stuff, not yours. And so, and what we, what we mean by that when we say that, because I know Lisa and I have therapy speak and we tend to like, you know, know, read each other's minds with what we're saying. But when I say their stuff, not yours is if they are holding back or if they are feeling uncomfortable, that's their problem, not yours. That is their job to then get supervision around that topic, around that issue. Um, we have supervision every, like a few times a week at my job where we talk through cases or we say, you know what? I have this patient that I'm really having a problem with because I have a similar issue in my life and I don't know if I can treat this person. Like that's kind of, you know, what we talk about. So I hope that you can just feel comfortable knowing that you can talk to your therapist and say, I'm thinking about, I'm having a hard time opening up to you about this certain thing. Uh, and here's why, and just kind of see where that conversation goes. If I can add to that, something that, um, I've had actually a couple of clients do is email me ahead of this time of the session. And they'd say, there's something really hard I want to talk to you about. And I'm totally worried that I'm going to chicken out. So I want to put this in an email to hold myself accountable. So it's a way for them to come in and have it kind of already be like in the room. Oh, that's... That's great. And then we have a greater conversation about, you know, what's hard about direct communication in the moment, but that's a whole other thing. And communication is really hard, but that is an awesome alternative. We know that social media or electronic communication is like the, the, what we do now. And so know that that's always an option is to, you know, kind of write it down ahead of time. Yeah. And I also, you know, the, the other thing Joy said about like, you know, therapists, like owning their stuff again, I want to go back to, cause I think what prevents people from coming into therapy is people are going to judge me. Here's what you need to know is that there's two people in the room 
there's not just you and then someone analyzing and judging you. There are two people. There's another human. And the number one indicator, I think this is a fact, although I don't think, I don't think I'm pulling it out of, uh, you know, my ass, but I think the number one indicator of like therapeutic success is the relationship that you feel comfortable with someone. Thank you. That was like an old thing. They said 20 years ago. Oh yes. Oh yes. I have the book on that. Okay. The book on that. That is 100% (laughs) true. So I'm going to restate that is the number one thing that you can focus focus on when you're seeking a therapist is the relationship. If you don't like your therapist, if you don't feel understood, if you don't feel like they hear you, if you're really struggling, if you've seen them for too long, then you might want to look for someone else. Mm -hmm. And when I say too long, I think there's, I think there's such a thing as seeing someone for too long. I think totally, I think it's normal for, I get this, these cases all the time where people call up and be like, I'm seeing so-and-so outside of Kaiser. Can you just please place a referral, which we can't because with Kaiser, everyone has to be covered under our, our umbrella. And, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I think what's people have this idea is that they're going to see the same therapist forever and ever. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's normal. I think it's, um, really something that is, important to change therapists. Cause if you see the same person for too long, I think you can get in a rut. I think they can get too used to you. I think they can kind of get too comfortable, get too comfortable. So yeah, I think I went off track, but what was the original? <laughs> I don't know. I just totally lost it. See, we, we don't even know. Well, well, I wanted to go back to one other thing that you said yeah. about like being transparent in the moment of the kind of therapist that you are, because I also believe in on the first, the first session I have with someone, I'm like, look, let me tell you the kind of therapist I am because I'm not everybody's style. I'm kind of like you. I'm super direct. I drop F-bombs in therapy. Like we are going to get in. We're going to get in and we're going to get it done. Where I'm going to say things that are going to piss you off. Yeah. Like I, you know, and so I let people know like, I am not the kind of therapist that's going to sit and not and be super, super compassionate. I hold compassion for you. I hold, um, you yeah. know, such respect for you showing up. But if you're looking for like the warm and fuzzies, you won't get it from me. Right. And that's okay. The other thing that I wanted to say really quick, because I think a lot of times that, that I have heard from people that, well, you know, I, like I'm scared to bring this up. Sometimes a really good therapist will sense that and bring it up for you. Oh, yes. I also oh, like gosh. if they're yeah. not the other day, I said to someone, I said, I feel like there's something you're holding back. Like, yeah. can we talk yeah. about the elephant in the room? The right. So also, no. Oh, God, it's such a good thing too. that therapist should be able to read body language yes. and read energy. Like if there's yeah. energy in the room where I can sense someone looking a certain way or if they are not making direct eye contact with me yeah. or if something's changed, I'll comment on it. And I'll say, you know, something's going on with you today. What is it? So a good therapist should notice those things and pay attention to those things and know the differences when you walk in or if I'm like, Oh my gosh, you got a haircut like that. That to me shows if someone who has severe depression comes in and starts looking better. I comment on that. Like you're taking better care of yourself. Like things like that are just really, really important. Yeah. I had someone the other day that was like talking about her cat for 20 minutes and I was like, can I just interrupt for a second? I'm like, you didn't come here to talk about your cat for 20 minutes. So what do you really want to talk about? And she looked and she was like, totally busted yeah right so and this so just know like you know you don't have to do all the work in therapy like your therapist is also there to help support you and guide you for sure for sure for sure okay and then the last question in this genre is do you need a reason to go to therapy i'm generally fine but could always work on myself and i would say like no you don't need a reason but here's the thing if you want to go to a private pay therapist they'll they'll see you all day long and again i'm not saying that they're all why are you hating on us joy joy's totally hating on us ethical (laughs) private pay therapists thank you who've like been you've been in the trenches and you know a good treatment plan but um i'm just saying you actually 
you can go to a therapist if you if you want. It's great. I think it's a good idea to have a goal in mind because as a therapist, if someone comes in and just wants to quote unquote talk, I, I get kind of like, that's fine and all, but mm-hmm. I'm just not, I'm not your therapist because I want someone to come in with some good meaty problems to work on, not necessarily have like the perfect problems per se, but at least something that's like, this is going on in my life. How can I work it out? So if you're just kind of saying like, I don't know if I have a reason, like do maybe try some other like self-care things to support uh, your life. I don't know. Or try another therapist, right? Like that's another thing is you've been with someone for years and years and years and you just kind of keep going without thinking about it. Yeah. I I mean, well, this one was like, do you need a reason to go to therapy? Oh, in general. In general. I totally misread that. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know if like- I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. I'm like, I I, I, I think for the most part- I would probably look for therapy if you have a specific struggle in your life or a specific problem to work out or a specific whatever. Or if you're not feeling like yourself, right? Or if you feel like a little stuck in a rut and um, if just something like in your intuition is like something feels off. But it's not like for those of you listening that like just listen to this podcast because you're like, we like CrossFit and Joy and Claire are fun to listen to. You don't probably need to go to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. But But at the same time, I think it's also really important to know that if loved ones around you are like, I'm kind of worried about you or, hey, is everything okay? It's not always easy when you're in it to, to recognize right. when you have a quote unquote problem or to know when you may need therapy. And I think that's the other thing too, is people are like, do I need a reason? Well, maybe, maybe you go to a therapist and say, I just, maybe I'm feeling stuck or I'm not sure if I should be here. It's okay. A therapist would tell you. Yeah. I've Ther- told many people, yeah. you don't need to be here. Yeah, I'm like, I've told go, people that too. you know, they kind of come in and, and they're not really sure what therapy is. Maybe they've never been to therapy. Yeah. So they're just not really sure how it works in general. And I think some therapists may tell you like, yeah, you're fine. You're yeah. like, come back if you need me. But a good ethical therapist will not just let you sit there and talk while they listen and pay them $200 an hour or whatever. If your therapist is just listening and nodding and providing a lot of validation without any feedback, run. Yeah. Run for the hills. I, I just I, pissed I, off like 90% of need, therapists but, in the world. But, you know, like I, there's so many bad therapists out there too. And I get that, <laughs> but I'm just, and here's the other thing I noticed is like some people want that. Some people just want someone right. to like to listen, listen to them talk. And yeah. Like, That's just not me. It's not going to be me. You should just start a podcast if you want that. <laughs> Start a podcast. It's totally, that's why I started. It just made people angry. Okay. Um, okay. Um, tips for getting a resistant friend to go to therapy. So a lot of people said this too. Like tips for getting a resistant partner. Tips for getting a resistant friend. Tips for getting a resistant fill in the blank. Um, you can't force anybody to get help. And I know listeners, you've heard me say this on the podcast before. So I will be a broken record and say you cannot force people to go to therapy. You just can't. Um, you can lightly suggest it. You can be a model for healthy living. You can probably say, I've had really great results with therapy, but you can't, you just can't. They have to come to it on their own. Just like everything else in life, you can't. I'm sorry. Um, it's hard because when you're watching someone struggle, it's really difficult to say like, you just need to go to therapy and then maybe they get defensive, but you just, that's just something you cannot force them to do. I feel like a lot of the questions and so for those of you like there was a lot of these questions how do I convince my dad my friend all of these people like how do I convince them to go to therapy and slash because this is kind of the same answer so maybe I can kill two two birds with one stone the the question along like how do I like you know convince someone to go to therapy or how do I support someone so in general I'm a big fan of be direct be vulnerable I'm worried about you if you ever want to talk about 
anything happening in your life, I'm here for you. And also, you know, if you ever want to talk about going to counseling, you know, that could be something that I could help you support you in the process and then drop it. Bottom line, what I've known in my 15 years of being a therapist and almost 40 years of being a human is I think people really just want to be seen. They, they want to be do. seen and yeah. they want to be noticed. If you just say, I notice you're struggling. Yeah. If I can be helpful, let me know. Mm-hmm. And then you got to drop the mic and walk away. Yeah. It's and take so care true. of yourself. It's so true. You just have to, to notice it, call it out. I think the worst thing you can do is to just ignore it. So you yes. can't, I think it's not one, it's not one or the other. So there's not one answer to getting help. Therapy is not the end all be all. No. Right? So we don't know you, anything. What? It's <laughs> like, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. Yeah. We're all hot messes yeah. ourselves. <laughs> but I think if you're seeing someone struggling with a mental health issue or what you perceive to be a mental health issue, therapy isn't the end all be all, right? So if you know for sure that person's not going to set foot in a therapy office, try something else or at least just notice. Like I, like you just said, I notice you're struggling. Just know I'm here for you. Let's go get lunch or something of that nature. Um, and then therapy may just come down the road. Maybe you can plant the seed. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of planting the seed. And by that, I mean, if you make suggestions to someone, they may not take you up on that for five years, Mm -hmm. but at least you planted the seed. And I do that all the time with, with patients, with clients, I will say something and I know for a fact it's not going to come to fruition or it's not going to register, but they may like 10 years later, send me an email and be like, I finally understand what you, what you mean by this. And I took it to heart and now I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fine too. So you just can't put those expectations on people. And I think that's a really important thing to be a supportive person in their life. The other part that I want to add to, because I know we're going to talk about eating disorders uh, in, in this episode, but one of the things too that I've learned when people say, well, I'm worried about my friend. What do I like? How do I say what you said about like, like the biggest, like, no, no, is not saying nothing. I can tell you of treating eating disorders for the past eight and a half, nine years, um, is that most of my clients come to me and they said, well, nobody said anything. So I thought it wasn't bad. Totally. And so people don't want to bring it mm -hmm. up. It's uncomfortable. They don't want to recognize it. Here's the other thing I think, tell me if I'm wrong. If they call it out, it makes it true. Mm hmm. Yeah. And they, they're afraid of upsetting the, the person in question, mm-hmm. the, the person of concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they think, um, so my clients have said, well, that no one ever said anything. So I thought I didn't look sick enough. Uh, no one ever said anything. So I just thought it was fine. And no one ever said anything. So I just thought that I didn't look like I needed to go to treatment. And those are all things that are really, really difficult yeah. um, to deal with. So, Ugh, okay. Let's do a, a few quick, fast answer questions and then we'll get into the more eating disorder focus questions because we're already 30 minutes in oh my god holy moly we need to do like a series (laughs) if you guys are interested in doing a series yes hit us us up let us know yeah joy and i like to talk we like to talk about therapy things so please uh shoot us a message and i like to talk about food yeah yes we yeah all all the great things in addition to being a therapy Right. Oh, and positive body image having things our like that. Therapy hats. Yeah. Do you recommend talking to your PCP prior to finding a therapist? No, you don't really have to. I think if you're, again, it depends on the setting. Like if you're in a situation with an insurance company where the primary care physician has to refer you to a therapist in order for it to be covered, absolutely do that. But you don't need to talk to them. 
I don't think you do. No, I love my PCP, but you yeah. know, a lot of doctors, like, I'm just insulting people left and right. Doctors get like zero training in mental health. Yeah. I think doctors get something like one to two hours of eating disorder training throughout their entire residency. So they don't really know anything. So look elsewhere to and get your And just from referrals. working with all the primary care physicians at my job, it's really funny. Like bless the work that they do. Yes. But every time they see someone crying, they're like, uh, behavioral health, can we get you over here? Like, they're you're on, you're on call with like, them. We got to cry. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not always the most comfortable with, with emotions, but I mean, not, I'm not saying all of them, but it's just, it's not their specialty. Like, you know, primary care is not my specialty. If someone was like, there's a reason I'm not a heart surgeon. Yeah. If someone came to my office bleeding on their arm, I'd be like primary care. So, you know, the street goes both ways. Um, someone asked quickly thoughts on online therapy, like talk space, better help. And I, I'll, I have answered this on a previous episode, but I will say, I think that they're great. I, I haven't used them personally. However, I went through the process of applying because oh, I almost, interesting. I almost went to be, yeah. I almost wanted to be, um, just one of the therapists just yeah. to kind of see how, how it went. Oh, I didn't go through the whole thing, but I went through applicate the application process also because I was curious to see how they vet their therapist. And for talk space, it's pretty lengthy. Wow. They have a very lengthy application process and credentialing process and training process. And so that to me was like legit. So I think if you're going to talk space, I can speak personally from that application process that I think they vet their therapist pretty well. I've heard mixed reviews though. So mm-hmm. I think like with anything, it's really kind of what your style is. I don't think it should replace person to person face to face therapy because I think it limits a lot on what you can do. Um, if you're just doing therapy over video or text or what have you. But if you're in a rural place and you just don't have the services, by all means, talk space it up or better help. Yeah, I, I can't comment too much on it because I don't know that much about it. But I do agree with you, Joy, because I think that any support that people can get, any access to support is probably better than none provided the support is ethical, if that makes sense. So if it's an if it's a step into counseling, that's wonderful. And it's also important, I agree with Joy, like it doesn't replace like the in-person. So for my practice, I do offer teletherapy for yeah. people in Colorado because there's a lot of people like even in the springs, the western right, slope, the mountains. That, like, how's it going with video visits? Yeah. We, we, call, we call them video visits. Oh, yeah. okay. Do you guys have those too? Teletherapy, yeah. Sounds Kaiser like it could be like now, which oh, is really cool because it's, amazing. it's really expanding the net of the people that we can reach. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful thing. So my vote is if you're not going to get therapy at all because you don't have access to an in-person therapist, please use something like BetterHelp or Talkspace yeah. yes. or see if your insurance covers teletherapy mm-hmm. because that's a huge thing now. Yeah. it's Teletherapy it, is like a Skype visit with a therapist. It's, and it's amazing. All Mine, I have like a small percentage of people that I'm seeing through telesessions. Some are in the mountains that don't have access to an eating disorder specialist. Some just literally live in Parker and don't want to deal with the traffic um, of going to Westminster where my practice right, is. Which so, is very far for those of you who don't know the Colorado area. With the traffic. It would be like two hours. It's no bueno. <laughs> so just yeah. know that those are options as well. Yeah, great. Okay, so one last question before I swear I'm oh going to move on. But it's I like do 35 have one minutes. We didn't, okay. we didn't get to. Okay, okay, I'm ready. A couple people, a few people asked about supporting their partner who's struggling with severe depression oh, um, or, or a mental illness, let's say. So supporting a partner with mental illness. 
And I think that's just really, really hard. What I will say briefly, because I swear this could go on for like hours and hours and hours. We so really keep it brief. Could but keep talking. what I would say is get to know the disorder, whatever their diagnosis is, get to know it, learn about it. If you can, if your partner's comfortable talking about it, sometimes there's a lot of shame around it. So if your partner may just get defensive around it. So kind of, you know, gauge that situation. No one couple is going to be the same, but I will say it does help to know what comes with the diagnosis because then you can kind of take it out and look at it. And instead of taking it personal or realizing like, why is he being so mean or she's being so mean to me or whatever the case you can kind of think in your head, oh, it might be this disorder that's contributing to these issues. However, you never, ever, 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 ever want to use ever. their diagnosis against them. Ever. Meaning it's because you're depressed or, oh, you, are you on your meds? Like throwing that in. Oh, my. Lanta. Unless you're married to a narcissist, but that's another podcast. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I mean, if. That's the, I don't, I'm, I'm assuming everyone on this that's listening to this would never do that, but I'm just saying, please don't, <laughs> <It> happens. <laughs> please don't throw the, are you taking your meds? It's kind of the similar yeah. thing of like, are you on your period? Cause yeah. people will get mad, but uh, learn about the disorder, support them and ask them and talk about it with them. If they're comfortable, sometimes it takes a while for people to actually talk about their diagnosis because it's really, really personal and it can be really, really scary. And depending on like where they are on the spectrum of acceptance, I think it's really important to know that too. Like when I say acceptance, it's like maybe they're really struggling with this disorder. Maybe they're str- struggling with the diagnosis and saying, I didn't realize I had this diagnosis. So that those are the things I'd say like very briefly of how you can support someone. But really it's, it's to a point too where the partner with the diagnosis shouldn't be the one that has like carte blanche to just kind of check out of life. I do believe that if they, hopefully they are getting help. I'm a strong believer in partnerships, really taking care of themselves to be a better partner. So I I never want people to think, well, oh, I'm just going to have to live with this and I'm just going to have to deal with their depression. Heck no, you and your partner have to work on this together. So you have to get to a point and it does take some time, but you have to get to a point where you're both comfortable to say, maybe we go get couples therapy and we talk Mm -hmm. about this as a couple and how we're both struggling with it and how we can both deal with it. Because I don't think it's up to one partner to just be like, oh, I just have to quote unquote put up with it. I think both partners have to, no matter what you're dealing with, because everyone comes to the party with something. If you aren't actively contributing, helping, nurturing your, your partnership or marriage or whatever kind of relationship you're in, you're not doing the right thing. You have to be actively working on that relationship. So well said. Let me add a couple other points. In addition, know that their illness does not define your relationship to kind of go based on like uh, as a um, segue to kind of what you were talking about, Joy, like your relationship is not bipolar. Your relationship is not alcoholism, right? right? At least that's in, in my opinion. And again, Joy kind of put the disclaimer like these are this is our feedback as professionals, but also just my like personal slash professional not advice, but just input opinion um, is that, you know, your, if your relationship becomes about their mental illness, you need to be doing some therapy or counseling on your own. You need to be doing some counseling as with a couples therapist. The other thing too, is take care of yourself, right? You're not going to be any help to your partner, your loved one. If you are, completely consumed. I, I, I say it with my my patients because I or clients because I, I mostly treat eating disorders, but I tell their loved ones, like get off eating disorder island. Like there's a life outside oh of God, the yes. eating disorder. Out of, just really take up yeah, their lives. Like, yeah. like their, their whole lives are defined around the eating disorder. I know. And then the partners get sucked into that 
that too. So you and have you to want, create an identity as a partnership of like what here's outside here's a this. mission statement for our mm-hmm. for our partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go to yoga, go out with friends outside of your partner. Again, this is actually like if you even take mental illness, like this is just my like relationship hack one oh one, even though I messed up there, is like also having an identity outside of your relationship. Exactly. That's okay. We yeah. give you permission. Yeah, we give you permission. Okay. Let's move on to some eating disorder specific. We kind of save these for the end because we got so many really good ones, good ones. So do you want to start somewhere specific that kind of leads us in? No, because now I feel put on the spot. Okay, so you're going to, well, let what? me just, and let me just start. Yeah. So again, I've worked with eating disorders for nine years. I like to be transparent with people. I have been in recovery, actually like recovered from my eating disorder for 20 years. So mm-hmm. I am a professional that understands where you're coming from. Um, I'm a certified eating disorder specialist. All this to say, I'm actually not giving my credentials. I also, this is just my opinion. This is my experience from working with my clients. I am like, I maybe this is my own stuff. I'm very uncomfortable with like the word expert, but this is just I am speaking from my experience. Yours may be super different. So okay. I like to, you know, you're allowed to have your own experience. Right, right, right. Can I ask you really quick? Because I oh. listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously, and I listen to a lot of eating disorder recovery podcasts. And they're really big on not like not saying numbers, oh, not yeah. saying like the quote unquote trigger. And I know you've said before, like, you don't like the word trigger. Oh, God. I just cringed. You just see. I was like, oh, God. But I'm I'm really curious because I'm not an expert in eating disorders. Is what is it about that piece that I think we're, is it a disservice or I mean, are we just doing that because it's, we've been doing that for a while or is there a method to that? Again, my perspective, right. From, from my experience, what I've learned from my clients, I get this may be different for your listeners, but there is a hugely competitive nature of this illness, right? So if someone like you listen to food psych with Christy Harrington, who is a goddess, everyone needs to listen to her podcast. Christy Harrington's great. Yeah. Yeah. Joy and I were talking about this, but she kind of like deletes out like numbers. And so like that I'm a fan of because the numbers don't really matter. Numbers do not state how sick you are. And there are, you know, if you really talk about getting in depth with, with your behaviors, a lot of people who are actively working on their recovery or in their illness is like, oh, well, someone used this behavior five times. Like I want to top it. It's mainly the competitive nature or the flip side is, oh, I don't do that. I must not be as good as my eating disorder. Yeah. And the eating disorder voice is pretty darn sneaky. So it's, that's kind of how it thrives. Okay. It's an Um, asshole. It's, it's a big (laughs) a-hole. Okay. So the first question I want to start with was, can you have an eating disorder and be overweight? Absolutely. So what we're learning right now, I'm going to, and we don't have enough time, healthy at every size, go Google that as a movement. What the biggest, one of the biggest misconceptions that I hear is that you have to look a certain part to have an eating disorder, right? You have to be underweight to have anorexia. You have to be overweight to have binge eating disorder. the, The reality is that eating disorders do not discriminate body size, body shape, weight, BMI, none of that is relevant when we're talking about how dangerous these illnesses are and how much people suffer from them. If you want a really great book on this matter, Dr. Jen Gaudiani wrote a book called Sick Enough. It's incredible because I have a lot of people that come to me and this this actually like almost brings tears to my eyes. I have clients come to me and say, well, I never really thought I looked bad, so I must not have an eating disorder. But 
100% of their day is centered around food, exercise, food, exercise. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Well, and if I can do some education real quick, yeah. sorry, because this, this question came up about laxatives because this actually makes oh, me think. Yeah, so people, yeah, yeah. so I'm going to kind of segue. The, the other thing that, you know, to, to you know, do you, can you be overweight and have an eating disorder? The re- reality is that some behaviors, it doesn't matter what weight you are, what they do to any body weight or size is incredibly dangerous. So a writer asked about like, can you guys talk about laxative use? We are like running out of time, but the bottom line, laxative use is an incredibly dangerous behavior to pick up. I've had clients that I have known who have died because of laxative abuse. It will tank your potassium. I've had patients in and out of the hospital. I've had patients code because of extreme laxative use. Um, The problem too is also it's really, really hard to get off them. So if you're taking a, a, a number that is, well, I don't want to say number that's concerning because that actually goes against everything that I just said. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, the bottom line is, is a, a doctor, an eating disorder specialist can help. You might need to go into treatment for some of them, but you you the, mon- the bottom line is you're going to want to be monitored if you're trying to slowly taper your laxative use. And I would highly recommend seeking out a therapist and a medical doctor because they're a really, really hard thing to interrupt on your own. Do you see that often kind of like as a, a piece of what people are doing as far as behavior? Behaviors. Is that just one behavior on top mm-hmm. of many? Do you tend it's, to see patients who are just doing laxative abuse? A, I mean, what is the trend? I that's say trend, yeah, but like things that people are that you're seeing a lot of. That's a really, really good question. It depends. Like, I know that's such a frustrating response, but I have clients that that is just their number one thing. That's all they do is laxatives. And then I have clients who use lots of other behaviors and it mm-hmm. just, it really depends, Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying to people thinking that if they're just using laxatives that they're like, well, I'm just yeah. using laxatives. Yeah. So, again, yeah. Just, a- just is not the word. I mean, they're o- uh, right. only, only, only might be. Yeah. Well, which I'm going to tell you that could kill you. So please call, call us. Call us for help. <laughs> yeah. We're going to link all of the resources we list on this episode in the podcast notes in the show notes here so just make sure that you look for that if you need the links but yeah i think that people justification we can justify our behaviors till the cows oh come my god like it is mm-hmm. it is bad so i think that if you're finding yourself justified the other thing that kills me is we are in a world now and don't even get me started oh I no don't want to go down here we go here we go. go down this trail because we talk about it too much and people complain but it is like we we live in a world where this is normalized we live in a world. Well, actually, I would say that's probably hasn't changed much. Like mm-hmm. from the Jane Fonda days, where she had an eating disorder, and everyone's oh like, "I want to look like her." I and know. Like, well, you can't because unless you want to have an eating disorder. Okay, so I'm just saying, like, looking at if you just open up Instagram, mm-hmm. it's like a walking, breathing ad for mm-hmm. getting an eating disorder, and people are probably going to send me a lot of hate mail for that. But I stand. Will by they it. really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing I want to bring up too, (laughs) I just poked you there a little. So it's like, I was like, let's, let's talk about it because it's what I texted you today was like, um, people, there's a lot of people out there who are like counting macros and dieting actually helped me. Like, what are you talking Mm -hmm. about joy? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I had binge eating disorder and counting macros and doing all these dieting things actually helped me get control of my eating. Mm -hmm. What did, what would you say to that? Oh, 
But because gonna... here's the thing, we are talking. We have to understand, like you and I talk, talk from the lens that we treat people who are really more acute than right. the general population. So I think it is important to note that, like. Not every behavior is an eating disorder going to come out of that. Correct. We we talked about this with Natalia, and I've always right. said this is like you guys need to understand that I I work with some some pretty serious cases, so I'm always under like massive alarm. I but I think we've muddied the waters of what what it looks like now, right? Because I think people again don't know what the symptoms are that would then warrant you needing help. And I think too, having been someone that has gone through my own process and is like really proud now of my relationship with food and my body and my and exercise, to me, counting macros, sorry, and I'm like, I realize I'm on a, on a CrossFit podcast, but I'm like, that's not normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so my point is, but you know, why? so what why we'll say, say yeah, well, yeah. what we'll say like, is, expand on that because yeah. I think there's a lot, a Sorry. lot of people. No, 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 no. It's fine. Yeah. This is the discussion we need to have. You yeah. know, why is it not normal? Well, so for me, so what we know about binge eating disorder, and again, oh my God, we don't even have enough time. It's so fine. I'm going to, we got to have a part um, two. Everybody so we'll have a part, we'll two, have part two, unless it's, I just offended everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If you like what we're saying, please email us I questions. promise I'm a nice person. Um, so um, binge eating disorder, here's what we know. Um, counting calories, losing weight does not cure binge eating disorder. Getting effective treatment does, right? So what you're really doing is, and, and, and again, from my perspective, any type of... No, you should say from a clinical perspective. Oh, I okay? know. It's a clinical perspective that I you... Know. From a from a professional environment. Yeah. Like let's truly put the source of that. Like, that's you, yeah. yeah, that's for sure. If you guys Google like myths against binge eating disorder, cause I actually did that on my way over here. Uh-huh. Um, just cause I was like, I want to make sure I'm like, you know, up to date. And one of them is like that you can fix it or cure it by losing weight, by counting calories. Absolutely not. So, so to me, counting calories, counting macros, like it's all counting. But people are like, but I, but it helps me. Mm-hmm. I'm being devil's advocate. Here. I know. So then my question would be like, why, how, because how does I'm not it help you anymore? I'm just, I'm gonna play. Let's role play. I'm not binging anymore. I'm not binging anymore. It worked. Okay. How do you feel about your body? I mean, if I. <laughs> My first, my first reaction as I'm doing a test patient, right? I'm being a test patient. I'm not speaking from joy, but I'm like, the first reaction I want to say is like, well, if I stopped macro counting, I'd go binge again. Okay. So then what does that say to me? That I'm not recovered. Right. The obsession is still there. It's just been transferred. Yeah. Right. And the other... Sorry, I just like almost hit a mic drop because I'm like, it's so true. The obsession's been been transferred. And again, the reality is that, and I come from the belief, and and this actually, I can loop this back to another question. If someone had like, can you actually fully recover from an eating disorder? Is like, is there hope? So I believe absolutely you can. And if you ever are working with a professional that says that you have to learn how to manage this, run. Um, I don't believe that. Are there cases? Nope. I believe that you can recover from this okay, with I feel like that's the the theme yep. it, it feels like it's something that you're never going to yep. recover from so and here's the thing this goes into therapy might you have bad body image sometimes yes, yes that doesn't mean you have an eating disorder we all have bad body image might you sometimes have a thought because someone actually asked a question about like what do we do like where do intrusive thoughts come from I don't know our thoughts are just our thoughts and they're totally messed up yes they're totally <laughs> messed up you thoughts are crazy thoughts we have uh, we have a very 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 intelligent brain that puts thoughts into our mind all the time. 
time. That's when, if you have intrusive thoughts and you're struggling with that, I mean, aside from eating disorder, we're not talking about eating disorders right now, but just like in general, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy is great for that. Mm-hmm. As is DBT for, for that matter. And so. ACT. So I'm trained in acceptance and commitment therapy, which is more like recognizing your thoughts and being yeah. like, oh, that's a crazy thought. So and like acceptance it's just a thought. and commitment therapy, yeah, mm-hmm. is also great. All of tool. these, like, again, this is like, there are so many great therapists. There's so much out there that can help you guys. You're not alone. But wait, where were we going? I just totally uh, thoughts. Um, being oh, recovered. Recovering. Being recovered. Yeah. yeah. So I absolutely believe that people can be recovered. And people ask me that all the time. They're like, well, how do you like know that you're recovered? And I'm like, because I don't ever think obsessively about food. Do I have bad days in my body like as a human? I'm like, yeah. And I talked about this in a few podcasts, but that doesn't mean that then I'm going to like cancel my brunch plans. I'm right. like going to go and have mimosas and eggs better because I want to be with people. And so if anyone ever said, like, there's always, always hope. I have worked with many people that have gone in and to treatment or come to counseling and really restore their relationship with their body and food. And then sometimes this is also a serious illness that does require multiple stays in treatment, years in therapy, and that's okay too. Yeah. But the bottom line is it's never don't like do not ever give up. I know so many people and you wouldn't even time. I think that's the scary piece is like it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be willing to sit with the discomfort. Yeah. Right, oh, like you God, have to be that. willing. I know, I know. Sit with your feelings. People, I mean, even as a therapist, I hate that saying, but it's I so know, true. It's I like know. the only way out is through, and it sucks. I know. And that's when you need a really good support system, yeah, and people and friends who can hold your hand through it and encourage yeah. you and be like, yeah, this sucks. Or find an online community, people who are going through with it, or listen to podcasts of people that are going through it. Like yeah. the Opal Food and Body is one of my favorite ones right now. What is it? Opal Food and Body. Oh, they're okay. in. I think they're in Seattle. Okay. I always want to say they're oh, like in okay. Oregon or... <laughs> okay. Um, let me bring this question back real quick yeah. to another one. Yeah. I don't know what time it is, but so someone was... So what I said was kind of like you're transferring the obsession, right? Well, right. I'm not binging right. anymore. So now I'm counting macros. Someone also asked about orthorexia, yeah, which yeah. is like the obsession with eating healthy, which leads into diet culture and the quote unquote wellness industry, which I know we already talked about in another podcast. But I've had a lot of clients that have come to me in the throes of orthorexia because it quote unquote like cured their eating disorder. They were like, well, now I feel okay about eating. And I'm like, do you really when all you eat is massaged kale? Like, you know, sometimes I'm judgy. (laughs) So so my point is, again, you're still... (laughs) I mean, maybe that was like circa 2012. (laughs) But yeah, it's kind of... It's oh. still like an obsessive, or they go vegan all yeah. Of a sudden, like and they're like, like, "Oh, I'm I healed my eating disorder." I'm eat raw. And 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 that's another thing is like, you know, when I you have to kind of define how you want your relationship for food. This comes to like, and then I get into this with my clients, like values work. Like, how do you want to live your life? And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I wanted to like kiss her and like love her so much because she was like yeah she's like I gained like 20 pounds when I started dating my husband and it was because eating wings and drinking beer with him was more important to me than having a smoothie and I was like fuck yes Yes. that is the stuff of life 
that is that the is stuff the with life. life. So for me, again, when I talk about my, like my, I am like really a believer that life is meant to be enjo- enjoyed and, and I like love food and I love like just being happy in my life and being free and like food is a big part of my life. And I've also like, I've seen people, so I've said this before on a podcast, but I always say this to my clients, what you're doing with your food is what you're doing with your life. Ooh, say that again. What you're doing, what you're with your doing food. with your food or to your plate is what you're doing with your life. So, what is that? Give me, give an example. Give so, an example. So, think about. Um, I'm throwing. <gasps> like you're controlling and okay, keep going. I knew, I knew you were gonna love it. I knew you were gonna love it. I even paused. I paused for dramatic effect. You guys, you guys didn't even see what I was I like. Should insert a song here. Okay. Um. So, but, but. Really, I mean, for me, food is life. It's all about connection and community. And I have seen so many people that have lost out on things because of their rigidity around their their food. And so I'm thinking about, you know, like if you're just having a, a bland diet of whatever it is you're, and you eat the same thing every day. Same thing every day, not a lot of variety control worry around it so you're worrying about you're your food. worried in your life stressed and you're worried oh i love this i, I love know. this what you're doing with your plate is what you're doing with your life yeah not or, putting a lot of thought into it like sometimes i feel guilty because i don't put a lot of thought into my food good I'm for like, you oh, whatever's around and it's always something i want i'm like sharing my own experience but it's like i kind of want to put more thought into it because i'm like i want to be more intentional why um i just feel like I feel like food is nourishment, you know? So I'm like, I want to put something, I like want to pour energy, more thought into it. Like it's an important oh, okay. thing. Okay. 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 Good. I was checking on that. Yeah. What, what did that, you, what, what did you think? Um, I, I heard what it was, differently. What was, danger, what was the danger? Zone? I heard it of like, I, sh- I, what I heard was, oh, I should be like more intentional about like eating certain things. Oh no, no, so, no, no not okay. that, not that. <laughs> like I'm not, yeah, because I feel like there's, I'm, t- it's too rushed and it's not something I think a lot about. Okay. I'm like, oh, okay. just kind of like the quickest thing that I, I have around and that doesn't feel good like I want it to be more of an honorable practice like I think of like all the people in the past hundreds and hundreds of years who've created dishes right that are amazing you know what I mean like recipes like things that are it's such a beautiful practice and that's what I think I like want to be better at yeah and I don't you've had that for like the 20 years I've known you exactly. you have this and thing I'm with the cooking here. always well and like, then remember my- when I would I would like <laughs> I would like text Lisa. I don't even know if we had fucking text messages back then. We didn't. But I would like message you and be like, I have a date coming up or what should I make? And you would like, pr- I'm not, oh yeah, this was before text messages because you would print them out at work for me oh and be like, God. make this. Such a nerd. Oh, anyway. Okay. Let's do like rapid fire because I love this question and I really want you to answer it. Okay. How do you begin to work through the fear of not working out and gaining weight? This is a huge issue for people because they feel like, well, I'm being healthy like I'm being healthy. So what's the big deal? The, but the, uh, the other thing is, so there's two questions is like, people argue that, you know, health is a health is a great thing. Movement is a great thing. We're not, we're not sitting here telling you not to move. We are talking to the audience who is, you know who you are. Um, how do you, and I'm sorry if I've offended you today. <laughs> how do you begin? You know what? We, we're therapists who challenge you. So if you're offended, it worked. Um, how do you begin to work through the fear of not working out and gaining weight? Not working out. So like we're not, so what I'm going to assume, I'm assuming from this question is letting go of like compulsive working out. Yep. Thinking that you're going to gain weight. Okay. So my question, I actually deal with a lot of deal with, I work with a lot of, you have um, to put up with. Yeah. (laughs) 
I work with a lot of people with a unhealthy relationship with exercise or even maybe for your listeners who are like, well, I really like to work out. The The question that I ask kind of what I call like my over exercisers or my people that rely on exercise to keep their mood steady and stable, like that makes sense. Like yeah. I can only function if I'm exercising. I'm dependent. I'm addicted to this. Um, my actual question is like, okay, so well, what's wrong with gaining weight? Yeah, what is wrong with gaining weight? What's wrong with gaining weight? There's really nothing wrong with gaining weight. <laughs> so that's the... But it's, you know, okay, so I'm, just, I'm like, I'm going to talk this out for a minute. I'm like, gaining weight is, I'm going to like pretend to be a third, like to pretend to be like the audience because what I'm okay. guessing women are thinking is I like, know. I don't want to go up a size. Stay. I don't want to buy new clothes. I don't want to, I'll look quote unquote gross. I will, like all those bad voices, they're like, I'll look... Mm. And again, I'm not saying this is fact, y'all. I'm not saying, I'm just like, right. I'm trying to think of the audience, like what yeah. the the negative demon voice says in your head. Okay. So yeah. this is not, you know, me stating any facts here, but like those negative voices being like, yeah. Ugh, I don't want to gain weight. Like, I don't want to feel, blah, I don't want to feel icky. Well, and the reality is that gaining weight is different than feeling a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. There's the reality of, of weight gain, which I like, I'd like to get like a doctor or a dietitian to talk about like the, and this is way out of my scope, but like, I actually don't think that like stopping or reducing movement like automatically means weight gain. Um, I don't think, I mean, I, again, like if, if you guys have a link about this, but I, yeah. I think we have this diet culture mentality that you have to work out or you'll gain weight. Right. Right. And I just, I don't know if that's actually scientifically true. I I may be wrong. You guys. I'm just taking a guess. I'm taking (laughs) a guess and a gander. Right. And my N equals one experiment of, I probably, I've been an active person my entire life and I've had bouts where I've not worked out at all. And I've eaten the exact same for 42 years of my life. Same. Same. Always. Me too. Me too. 100% the same. Me too. Always. Me too. Always. always. My body is always Me fighting too. for that balance of yep. like, this is where we are, Joy. Yep. You will never move from this. Yep. And it doesn't matter. So I'm so glad you said that because I was going to say that too because I used to, I was a marathon runner for years and years yeah. and years and 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 I literally don't think I've changed from like that to like what I'm doing now, yeah. which is like walking my walking dog and dog. going yeah. to yoga. Yeah. <laughs> so I do want to, but so the, the question, so then actually if I go, so I would go to why don't you want to gain weight? What's scary about that? What's uncomfortable okay. about that? I'm going to go ahead and answer for the listeners because okay. I think I know this. The answer is I'm afraid I'm going to lose control and I'm thr- I'm going to afraid I'm going to quote unquote, let myself go. There's this Mm. mentality is if they don't have a control over their diet and exercise, they are going to just dive into a pile Mm -hmm. of nachos and Mm -hmm. like never turn back. And that is, it's that all or nothing thing that we've talked about with Natalia and we don't know how to do the middle ground right? because if we quote unquote, let ourselves go, then what does that mean? I mean, it's just like, it's that fear of like, I have to have some type of control or else my body will go out of control. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you said that for your listeners because I think, and I think Natalia talked about this, is in general though, our bodies are really good at regulating. Our bodies like, are so pretty I, My fine. answer to that, to realize that. Yeah. Like, my body is not going to change. Yeah. It's not going to change unless I put it through some, if I was like forced into some God forbid right. starvation situation. 
I am going to eat healthy every day because I'm hungry. I'm not going to fucking fast. I'm not going to jump on any fad diet because my body will find its way. Yes. My body will find a way to go go like, oh, you're doing this now? Okay, we're going to find our homeostasis over here. Cool. You keep you drive yourself nuts for the rest of your life if you want. But we're going to find our homeostasis right. here. And think of like how different your life would have been if you realized that earlier. For and sure. I don't say that, I say that as no, someone who's gone totally. through that myself, but totally. I look back on all like all the time I wasted in my head about like trying to control the fact that like I am who I am. I look like what I look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think too, like I want to like give a shot. We've been taught, this is getting real deep. I like to get deep towards the end of this. We've been taught as women, I know you have male listeners, but to not trust ourselves And I like, trust yourself, trust your body, trust your intuition. You are not going to go eat X thing for the next seven days uncontrollably. Like your trust that your body has an inner wisdom. I've heard something really cool on Opal Food and Body. I think it was Opal Food and Body. I need to listen to this. The same thing. And it's a fairly new podcast. You'll love it. No, I think it it might have been Christy Harrington. I'm sorry, Harrington? Yeah, I think it's Harrington. It might have been her podcast, but it was basically someone, one of the amazing uh, eating disorder recovery therapist or podcast saying every plate, every meal is a, is a chance to work on your relationship. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Oh, that's such a cool way to look at yeah. it. Cause you're not then looking at the big picture. But the other thing I wanted to say too, before I forget was like intuitive eating. I have two other things. Yes, I know. And the how, <laughs> okay. Like, a lot of people are like, how do I intuitive? Eat? Like there's all oh my God. these things floating around part two, these part two, I <laughs> part know. two of we this. Do it. We just have to do part two. So that's another issue is like people hear the buzzword of the day of intuitive eating. And here's the thing. I don't think any reading on the internet or buzzwords or memes are going to help you because what it comes down to is if you truly don't know how to get from A to Z, you got to go talk to a therapist or you got to, you have to talk to a specialist who can walk you from A to Z. Because I think so many people will email us and they'll go intuitive eating, but how, how do I do that? How do I do body acceptance or how do I trust myself? How do I trust myself? How do I get there? When you say to trust myself that I'm not going to go off the deep end and eat until to my heart's content. And like uh, the other thing people think of like, yeah, but that doesn't feel good to me. I don't want to binge eat. So then I'm going to, I'm going to go and like binge all the food and that doesn't feel good either. Yeah. You know, so people are like, I don't know how to do any of this. And this is where, you know, I know we were talking about like, you want to find like a solution focused therapy therapist. You don't want to be in therapy forever. Sometimes we've been, we've been struggling with our bodies for years and years and years, it might take a long time in counseling for you to to, to to figure that out. Like, so I do want to normalize that. Like some of my clients, like I've, I'll see for you know, a year on and off, maybe a little bit longer because it takes that long. I also want to normalize how hard this is. I, you know, I can honestly say, even though I wasn't in any behaviors. So, um, for, you know, most of my, my twenties, I can say, I honestly don't think I felt like really great about my body until like the last five years, which Mm -hmm. is ironic considering that I'm older now, things look different than they did. And I feel better now, right? So I want to normalize to people that like wherever you are, there's also this pressure of like, love your body, love your body. That's bullshit. I am not a believer in love your body. Like, why? Because I think it makes people do ingenuine things. And I think the reality is, I think maybe Claire talked about this in a podcast. But to me, loving my body is like, my body is just my body like I don't wake up every day and I'm like I love my body right guess what like my body like allows me to do things you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of a fucking secret 
That's why I don't like uh, it. I think that's why, because I'm with you. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, yeah. Activity. Like, that's great. Yeah. Like, I'm all for, like, celebrating women. But some days I'm like, I just don't want to do that. And I, I don't want to think positive, And I don't want to have, like, a positive affirmation thrown in my face. I just want to feel my feelings. And so yep. I think what it comes down yep. to, at least for exactly. me. It's ingenuine. It's, it's ingenuine. Like- and it's covering up the fact that we all have negative feelings. Yep. And then we're all of a sudden feeling guilty that we have negative feelings. Right. And it's like, oh, but I'm supposed to love my body. It's like, no, you're not. Like, no, there's going to be some days where we're like, I feel like poop and that's okay. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with you on that. And then... Well, while we're talking about this, I want to go back one uh, real quick to the question of like, well, how do I get over the fear of not working out and gaining weight? So my question is, well, then are you only working out so that you don't gain weight? Because that to me is concerning also if you're using a workout or exercise just to control your weight, mm. right? Move- I would say 99% of people are doing that. Oh, I'm going to take a guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm sure like I like to move because I like to move. It right. feels good. Like I just told you, I didn't work out for three days and my body felt like the Tin Man. I like know. I'm like, oh, I need to actually, my body likes movement, but movement not. And that's what Opal oh Food Body, God. by the way, they call it movement. Yeah. I don't know if you guys do that too. Like you don't call it working out. No, I call it movement. Movement. Yeah. Yep. So movement um, for joy. Move for joy. Right. And so <laughs> I just I, made a funny about you. Move for joy. <laughs> Sorry. That was a but, plug. <laughs> but like, I, I would say a lot of people work out because they want to, they want to justify the food. They want to earn their food. They want to. Oh, you know, I, I just kind of had a session that. about this last yeah, night. I they know. want to earn their calories and all that crap. Oh man, we that's just for part two. I have part so many two. thoughts so about many like things. body image and movement and all of that. But we're gonna have to do a part two. I know. Email us your questions, girlsgonewad at gmail.com. We will take them. Mental Health Awareness Week. You can send us anything that's on your mind. Really, we can cover it in a future episode. Really, really basic information to get help if you are struggling with anything. Really, is a great place to start. Is just getting resources www.nimh.nih.gov i'm going to link that in our show notes or you can call 1-866-615-6464 or you can text hello to 741741 that's free and confidential i mean just reach out for help getting help is really really important so mm-hmm. i just really uh value people reaching out to us and being vulnerable with their questions and trusting us really because this is a big deal and we want to keep talking about it we want to spread awareness and know that you're not alone and hopefully these questions showed you that you are not alone mm-hmm. and if you're looking for eating disorder in specific um, in terms of support you can go to NIDA the NIDA website which is the National Eating Disorder Association they're a wonderful resource a lot of places if you're in the Denver metro area the Eating Disorder Foundation is a nonprofit here that runs free support groups and then if you have yeah they're incredible I love them I'm happy to give them a plug I don't think they even know that I'm doing that Um, they're right in downtown Denver they do lots of lots of groups and there's also support groups for friends and families so want to throw them a bone over there and then if you have specific questions you can either reach out to to Joy and she can put you in touch with me or you can check out um, our website at embracestrengthcounseling.com and there's a lot of helpful information there yeah so thank you guys again for all of your questions this was such a power-packed episode we hope to do another one and we hope this was helpful so thank you guys so much for trusting us i'm gonna um end this by cheersing our mic cheers cheers thanks everybody thank you clink clink <laughs>